morning hillside this is Jariah Wagner and this is Andy Weiss and we would like to, to welcome, welcome you to church, church this morning. morning for the past several weeks we have had the opportunity to enjoy God's beautiful creation here in Oregon with my family let's turn it over to Jonathan for some worship so we've had a little uh, change of plans in the last minute uh, this this week we've learned that Daniel our beloved worship pastor um, has come down with COVID-19, so he is actually home recovering. We send our love and our gratitude to you, Daniel. Both he and his wife were tested positive and are home recovering and doing okay. But if you would be so kind as to keep them in your prayers. And then we had invited uh, John Grant to lead us in worship this week. But then John uh, is now sick. I don't know what his condition is, but uh, he's home recovering and then it falls to the third person that being me so i'm the third i'm the on deck uh, they called me up from the minors stepping up to the big league so i'm going to lead us in just a few songs this morning so if you would sing along with me we're going to begin by singing come thou fount of every blessing tune my heart to sing thy grace Praise we could ever bring. Worthy. 
every breath Seal it, seal it for 
so grateful that we are part of a larger covenant family, 875 churches across North America, and we're part of the Pacific Southwest Conference, of which there's about 160 churches. One of the things that we're doing in these uncertain and challenging times is trying to support our local churches to the extent possible. At the denominational level, they've come up with a financial relief initiative that has four elements to it. The first is to provide uh, financial loans to churches who are struggling to make their mortgage payments. There's grants to local churches who, in order to allow them to continue their community outreach and their support of the community. There's a pastoral crisis fund for pastors who find themselves in a difficult financial situation. And finally, there's financing loans and grants for those around the world that we support, like our missionaries. At the conference level, you know, we're all about relationships and wanting to connect, connect folks together. And so to date, we've already had 25 gatherings of pastors who can talk to each other and share their situations and trade ideas. And so that has been a wonderful initiative as well. We've had uh, uh, seminars for our youth pastors to help them during this uh, critical time to give them ideas and support and encouragement in what they're attempting to do. Uh, one of our major programs is to support the, uh, the payroll protection plan that churches can apply for, and so we've had a webinar to provide churches the information they need to be able to do that. Um, Jean Chang Gorman has hosted a webinar about anxiety for pastors during this time, and we've even had a seminar that supports our church chairs. Um, but we have three ongoing ministry initiatives at a conference level that I just want to tell you about again. One is Ignite. As you know, this is our seminary education in which our own Joy Fischler and Stephen Weislong are a part of. Uh, we have, in 2019, we had over 2,000 middle school and high schoolers gather together to get to know each other, to build relationships, to worship the Lord, and we've seen many those of those who have committed their life to Christ as a part of that. And last but not least, church planting is still central to what we're trying to do. On the average, we plant two to three churches every week, and also, 50% um, of those are either ethnic or multi-ethnic in character. So, in addition to what Hillside's doing, there's things that we can do together. And as our retired president of the Covenant, Gary Walter, said, we are in it this together, and we are in it together. Hi, Hillside family. We miss you. 
each and every one of you. Oh, what are we doing for our time out? Well, I do the puzzles in the paper every day. I sing with the barbershop singing group on Zoom on Tuesday nights. And uh, last week, I gave myself a haircut, a, a, manicure. a manicure, and a pedicure. No, I'm wow. not for hire. And I do Spice every Tuesday morning. Had a wonderful meeting this morning. Love to see the ladies on Spice. I really miss you people. Now we do another wonderful thing besides the puzzles and the music. Uh, we do, uh, a, a, we take a walk actually, you know, practically every day. But we sing as we walk different songs. And this is one of our favorites. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just There's something, something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. They call him Jesus. Hello again, everyone. I just have a few announcements uh, that I want to give you today. Um, and the first two are just wonderful praises. Uh, as you know, or you may not know, that we had a mask drive last Saturday, and there were 13 incredible people who spent hours and hours to develop well over 200 masks. Well, last Saturday we gave away 180 of those to people who would drive by. It gave us a chance to say hello to them and just have a little bit of connection. So thanks to all those folks who tirelessly put that together. If you didn't get one and still would like to have one, you can uh, connect with Maria Mord. Uh, with Trudy Robinson or Marty Stewart and they'll arrange to get you one. You might also remember last week that we had an urgent need to help our restore house as well as an Afghan immigrant family that we've taken under our wing and so what the response there has just been phenomenal where uh, we're able to provide two bicycles, a computer, household goods, food, gift cards to both of them and so they are very grateful and I'm just so pleased to hear that we could step up and do that. Uh, during this uh, challenging and uncertain time, uh, life can be pretty stressful, particularly on a marriage. And so Pastor Joy Fischler has put together some wonderful materials that you can get on our website at hillsidecovenant.org to help you through that, to provide you some resources. And if you have any questions or just want to reach out, I know Joy would love to hear from you. So um, thank you again for your generosity, and I think there's going to be more coming our way in the future. So. Um, be ready to step up and do God's work um, in the future. Thank you. Now is our opportunity to give back to God just some of what he's blessed us with. I love in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 in which God promises that if we bring our offerings and tithe for his kingdom work, that we will be blessed beyond anything we could anticipate. I've certainly seen that in my own life where I've learned that it's absolutely impossible to outgive God. So as we attempt to not only support our staff, but to do our community work 
whether it's the restore house or an immigrant family or a mask drive, that's where these dollars can be used. I just want to refresh that there are four different ways in which one can give. Certainly the Church Center app is one option. If you go to hillsidecovenant.org, there's a Give button that you can push there. You can write a check to the office. You can do automatic bill pay. You can even do an automatic withdrawal. And if you want to do something like that, just call Mary Palmer in the office and she'll help set that up for you. So I just want to thank you for your continued generosity as we attempt to do God's work and pursue our mission priorities. Hi, my friends. If you're like me, you've probably been shooting prayers up to God throughout your day during these recent weeks. Whenever you hear of some another piece of bad news or someone falling ill, or just being overwhelmed by the magnitude of these circumstances. Well, we thought it would be good today to bring our prayers together and to come as one before our God and lift up our prayers, our requests, and our praises. So I'll lead us and I'll periodically leave um, some pauses and some space for you to pray your own prayers and to name those individuals that you would like to lift up in prayer. So before each of those pauses, I will say, Lord, hear our prayer, or Lord, hear our praises, um, something along that line, and then you can just pour your heart out. Okay, all right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you first to give you praise, to speak of your goodness, and to affirm our trust in you. We know that our world is still in your loving hands and that all this suffering will be redeemed by you. Lord, hear our praises. And we give you thanks for our hillside community and how they have responded to this crisis by reaching out and caring for one another in many different ways. We thank you also that sweet Reagan Roden and her mom, Jeanette, are home from the hospital and that this child has once again defied all expectations. Lord, receive now our gratitude for your continuing and abundant blessings. Father, we know you are active in the world because we see so many people serving and sacrificing and risking their lives for the sake of others. This is who you are. May many people recognize you in these acts of love and may they awaken to your saving grace. And now, Lord, we bring before you our many concerns and lift them up to you in the miracle of prayer. For all those serving in the medical field, in care facilities and other essential services, we thank you for them and ask you to protect them. Lord, hear our prayers for those we now name.
for our loved ones and friends from whom we are separated, especially those who are ill or alone or dependent on the care of others, we ask for your healing and protection. Lord, hear our prayers for those we now name. For all who are suffering loss of income and have financial responsibility for others, we ask that you would just astonish them with your faithful provision. Lord, hear our prayers for those we now name. For our high school seniors, who have had their traditional graduation celebrations taken away. Please meet them in their disappointment, Lord, and surprise them with how you redeem this loss. Lord, hear our prayers for those we now name. And we ask you, Father, to supernaturally speed the development and production of testing, treatments, and a vaccine for COVID-19. May your Holy Spirit bring extraordinary insight and phenomenal results to those working on these things, so that everyone will look back and say, but it never happens this fast. Now, as we prepare our hearts to hear your message for us today, Please bless Pastor Jonathan as he speaks and bless us as we listen. In your son's name we pray, amen. Good morning, Hillside. I wanna begin with a question before we move into our text this morning. And the question is this, how do we become conduits of the divine? And asking this question of myself and us got me thinking about habits, got me thinking about patterns and rhythms that we find ourselves living into every day, things that maybe we're not even aware of anymore because they've become like second nature to us. There's a particular new habit that I think is being formed in me. And the new habit that I find in myself is, is I don't leave the house anymore without my mask, right? This cloth mask that's been provided by the good people of Hillside. And many of us have been recipients of these gifts. But I don't leave the house anymore. So before I go to the grocery store, before I go to Rite Aid, I bring my mask with me. And the reason I bring my mask is for self-protection, but it's also to protect others that may be more vulnerable around me. And so it's becoming a, a new pattern that I find myself in. And this got me thinking, this, this raised some other thoughts inside of myself before I move out into the relational world and, and move out into certain patterns and rhythms. As a Jesus follower, am I putting on love? Am I being intentional about putting on love? Which got me thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, the, the very thing that we had talked about months ago. Are we 
uh, intentionally putting on love, joy, peace, patience? Are we intentionally putting on kindness, like we're wearing it, and somehow it's it's seeping into our very being as people before we move out into the relational world, which got me thinking about more questions. What is what is my predetermined mindset before I move into the day? And, and how much of my predetermined mindset and is my responsibility? And then how much is the spirit doing in me, forming and shaping? Because there's my responsibility and then there's that which only the spirit can do in me then has led me to more questions. So before we get deeper down into this rabbit hole of way too many questions, I wanna read the text to us this morning. And the text comes out of Philippians chapter one, verses seven through eight. So we're just moving slowly through this letter together to allow it to form and shape how we think about living in the world. So listen to the text if you want to follow along. I'm I'm just looking at two verses today, verses seven and eight. And Paul writes these words, and he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He says, it's right for me. It's true. This is, this is what is most right. This is what is most true. This is the deepest realm of what is most real. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Other translations will use the word, it is right for me to think this way about all of you. And I think you can also insert based on translation, it is right for me to act, to be a person of action in this particular way about all all of you. Now, Paul is using one Greek word here that has all these different layers of meaning, and it's the Greek word phroneo. And it's a word that we're going to be coming back to quite often as we move through the letter. Now, phroneo, the Greek word phroneo, has to do with our will or our conscience. And this particular way of thinking, acting, and feeling is not just some general way. He's not just coming up with a general idea, but this is a particular way of thinking, acting, and feeling. And it's important, it's important for us to keep that in mind. Now think about where Paul is. He's in prison. He's in chains. And so his feelings about his community cannot be based on his circumstances. And he even says, whether I'm in chains or out defending the gospel or out sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, he, he has already predetermined how he feels about his community. You see, phroneo is the kind of thinking, acting, and feeling that isn't rooted in circumstances going a particular way. So for Paul, it's not things have to go a certain way. Um, they can't be up and down uh, or if things go a certain way, then I will have these particular feelings about you. If, if you meet these needs, then I will feel this way about you. Froneo is rooted in something else. It's something else that Paul is drawing from. And Paul reveals this something else, this mystery, in this particular part of his letter, just a few uh, another verse down in verse eight. He says that my feelings and my actions, my, my thinking mind 
towards you is all rooted in our common experience of God's grace. So the reason why I feel a certain way about you and the reason why I think a certain way about you is because of grace. And, and God's grace has moved from my logical mind and has begun to seep down into my emotions. And all of this informs my actions towards you. I think we could say that Paul is beginning to wake up to the reality that all of us are conduits of the divine. We're, we're conduits. I want you to think about lenses for a moment. Lenses have a way of informing how we see reality. And we all, we all come to the table with lenses. We have our political lenses. We have our economic lenses. Um, we have our biblical interpretation lenses that we wear when we read the text. We all have lenses, and these lenses are how we see reality. It's how it, it, what informs our thinking or our actions or our feelings, these lenses. So before I move into the day or before I can read something, before I can draw in for information, I have, I have to put my lenses on. Because right now, as I'm, as I'm looking at the camera and pretending that I'm looking at you, I, I can see an image, but it's blurred. So without a lens, my view of reality is blurry. It gets all blurry, and so I can't quite make out what's in front of me. The words, they don't, they don't make sense. But when I put on my lenses, things get clear. It's like, oh, there we go. Now I'm beginning to see things at, uh, at its most real level. Things become clear to me. So Paul talks about this common experience of God's grace, which then leads to a question is, how do lenses, lenses of grace, actually inform the way that we see reality? How do these lenses of grace inform and shape how I see you, how I see myself, how I see relationships? Lenses of grace do not move out into the world with a fault-finding spirit. They can't. It's counter to what a lens of grace is. Lenses of grace do not arrive at a gathering with a predetermined mindset. I've already predetermined that I don't want to connect with all of you, and so I'm going to keep myself away from you. I want to be in control. And I think a lot of this happens. Some of it happens at a conscious level, but, but so much of it happens at a subconscious level that we're not always aware of how these lenses inform how we see reality. And for many of us, our... Our thinking, our actions, our feelings are rooted in a fault-finding spirit. So we move through the day finding faults in others because there's a lot of fault to find out there, isn't there? There's, there's patterns and rhythms that we step into and so we move throughout the day finding faults not only in ourselves but we find it in those around us because we know, you know, some things just aren't right. But Paul says, listen, it's, it's right for me to feel this way. It's almost like he's talking to his own emotion. It's, it's right for me to think, feel, and act this way for all of you because we all share in God's economy of grace. No one is exempt from grace. Grace is like a game changer. It, it levels the playing field. We all come uh, under the same equation of grace. All are accepted. And Paul has already arrived at his conclusions about people even before he gets there. 
He has a predetermined mindset and it's all like dipped. It's like fully dipped and saturated in grace. And you'll notice in just these two verses, he uses the expression, all of you, three different times. All of you, all of you, all of you. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. And I think this is safe to to say. People in the first century were not any less annoying than they are today. It's not that, well, you know, as we evolve as humans, we just become more annoying as humans. Humans are annoying. Are you with me? They're annoying. Like, it's like, do you, do you have to make so much noise when you're eating your soup? It's just soup. What, why do you have to slurp it and go after it? Like there's not gonna be any soup left when you get to the bottom of the bowl. We have more in the kitchen. Like, so why do you have to make so much noise? It's all this annoyance that happens. But for Paul, his feelings, his thinking, his actions aren't rooted in the reality whether you're annoying or not. His feelings are rooted in the froneo of Jesus. There's a particular way, a particular pattern that Paul is drawing from. It's a a wellspring. And we're going to see this throughout his entire letter, these ideas that we're called to put on Christ, to put on love, to put on a particular mindset, a new mind that's being developed in us. And that's something that we get to do, to put on. So just as I put on my mask before I move throughout the day, I've learned that this is just part of the pattern and the rhythm that I now step into. I get to put this on. It's, It's part of my fashion, this particular mask. So before I move out in the day, what kinds of things am I putting on? And what would it look like for for me, for you, for us, to put on the thinking, the the feeling, the actions of Christ before moving into the day, before moving into our relational world? I think there's a lot of intentionality behind that. Because today, I'm making a conscious choice to put on love and to see others through the lens of grace. To allow my mind and my actions and my feelings to all be shaped and informed by the lens of grace. And then he takes it even deeper, and I love this. If you look at verse 8, he takes it somewhere else and he says, How I long for all of you. There it is again, right? All of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, this word affection captures my attention because it comes from the Greek word splagma. Can you say that with me? Splagma. Yes, such a good, a good word. And when you say splagma, it has to come like from somewhere else in the body. You can't just say splagma. It's like splagma. You have to dig deep. Now, if you go back into the gospel stories and you look at the life of Jesus, the writers will begin to describe Uh, the feelings, the compassion, they call it compassion of Jesus. And for example, you'll, you'll see it say where Jesus says he looked at the crowds with compassion and he was filled with compassion. Now this is that word splagnon. And so when Jesus moves with splagnon towards the crowds, he's moving with a particular kind of compassion. And when you see that word, the crowds, what what that indicates is that Jesus is looking at the crowd. These are the people who have been marginalized. These are the people who the religious institution told, you can't come into the house of God. 
because you're dirty, you're unclean, and you're not acceptable. So in order for you to come into the very presence of God, into the house of God, you have to clean yourself first. And Jesus sees these dirty ones, the crowd, and he's filled with splagnon, with splagma. And the imagery that comes to mind with with this word and kind of this um, Hebraic understanding of how important images are rooted in the expression of language, splagma actually brings up the ideas of that which moves our bowels and our intestines. Oh, now it's getting real. Yes, our bowels and our intestines. So when Jesus is moved with compassion, it says that it, it taps into his bowels and intestines. Something deep down inside of him begins to spin and move. So Paul's feelings that he has for these people are not just feelings, they're not just emotions, they're something deep down into the very beams of who he is. Something is getting stirred up inside of him. When my kids were young, I have two children, and when they were younger, I would go into their room at night while they were sleeping in, and just to make sure that they were sleeping peacefully, make sure that they were well. And I remember going in and looking at my son and my daughter, and there would be this feeling that would stir up inside of me. And they weren't even doing anything, they were just sleeping. But there was something inside of me that began to stir at a, at a gut level. It's like I would get that spin inside, that feeling of affection and love would begin to rise up in me. And as I think about that, even, even at a cellular level, our bodies can be tuned into the divine. Because how I see my kids in that moment is exactly how God sees them each and every moment. That's how God sees me. That's how God sees us. He's moved with this gut-level, splagma type of affection. And what I'm experiencing in in that moment somehow ties me into the very heartbeat of Christ, the very rhythm and pattern of how Christ sees his kids. There are times when I'm up front preaching, teaching, sharing my heart with you. And and I'm not saying this because I have to say this, but when when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching, there are moments when I feel such a great affection for all of you that it overwhelms me. It's because there's there's something inside of me that I'm tapping into as I'm sharing the love of Christ with you or I'm excited about something that I'm learning about God and I simply just want it to spill out and to be given to you as a gift. And it, and it becomes like a wellspring of affection. So absolutely wonderful. And then I realized that somehow I, I am able to be a conduit of God's grace, that somehow mercy resides in our hearts. It's like somehow God has chosen to take up residence in our thinking and our feelings and our actions, that somehow we're able to tap into that wellspring of splagma. And all of this is rooted in a common experience of God's grace, that somehow God's grace has a way of creating space inside of us. It's like We get to create space and room as the grace of God seeps down into our bodies and we make more and more room for the immensities of God, for the mystery of the divine. One of my my greatest fears as I age is that I I would begin to lose my compassion 
my affections for people. I don't want my heart, I don't want my mind or my actions to move towards indifference. I don't want to live each day with a fault-finding spirit. I don't want those things to gain too much ground in my life or gain space inside of my own body. I want to I want to be hooked up to splagma. It's like this one needs an extra dose of splagma. Let's let's hook it up to the splagma bag so that we have more compassion seeping into into our body so much so that our our very bowels and intestines are seeping with compassion. How's that for some good imagery? So let's get back to some of the questions that I had initially asked in the beginning of our journey here. What am I putting on before I leave the house? What what am I putting on? Like that I'm consciously aware of and even the things that I'm not aware of that are operating in my subconscious or, or what am I putting on while I'm staying at home? And then what lenses am I wearing? And how are these particular lenses that I'm wearing, the ones that are seen and not seen, informing how I see reality? This brings up one of the things that Paul said in one of his other letters. He says in, in his letter to uh, the church in Galatia, to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. This life that I live in this body, it's all informed and shaped and influenced and saturated by Jesus. I'm, I'm adding here. I'm paraphrasing. The one who gave himself to me, the one who continues to give himself to me is for me. And Paul is making a conscious choice to live in the way things really are. He's chosen to live in the deepest form of reality. He's choosing to live according to what we are going to be referring to in our journey through Philippians as the Christ pattern of thinking, acting, and feeling. Get familiar with that term, the Christ pattern, that we're called and invited to step into a particular pattern of thinking, acting, and feeling. Now let's talk about skin for a moment. And you're probably thinking, oh yeah, we saw that one coming. Yeah, let's talk about skin. Your skin is constantly flaking. Right now it's, it's getting on your clothes, it's in your bed sheets, it's spreading throughout your home. There are actually skin particles flying in the air right now and you are breathing each other's skin particles in. Gross. <laughs> oh, the things you say when you're all alone recording your sermon in the safety of your office when no one is watching. We are literally breathing each other in. At the same time, your body is producing new skin cells. So there's like this constant rhythm and pattern of dying and, repl and replenishing. That which dies replenishes itself. There's a particular pattern of that is reality at its most raw. It's just that's how it is. Think about your red blood cells for a moment. How often do you think about your red blood cells? Maybe every day? Who knows? Your body produces 2 million red blood cells per second. 2 million per second. That's pretty amazing. So your body is constantly living according to a pattern of dying and replenishing. Now that's on a physical level. If, if you think about what happens uh, in nature, 
we constantly see the pattern of things dying and resurrecting. There's death and replenishment. So this, this would indicate that in kind of the larger universal truth of what is most real and what happens in the world that we live in is that death gives way to life. Now this brings me to a question. What is the symbol that is central to Christianity? The cross. Like when you peel it all back, all the things that we talk about and we speculate about, but at the very center of Christianity is the cross. And the cross says death gives way to life. Now I've noticed a, a huge supply. There, there seems to be a huge supply of books on Amazon for the last several years that talk about finding our true selves, that if you want to experience life at its most rich and beautiful way, here's how you can get there. So a lot of, a lot of writers, a lot of authors are talking about how to have this authentic life, the one that we were created to have. And one of the most common things that I'm seeing, and in particular among more of those who take on that spiritual bent towards reality, is that death leads to life. Now, if we bring this into the realm of Christianity, when we say yes to Jesus, we are choosing to align ourselves with the very reality of our creator. It's not just verbal assent. It's not just having all the right beliefs in our, in our head. There, there's a particular pattern that we are choosing to step and live in accordance to and with. And that pattern is what Paul calls the Christ pattern, the phronesis of Jesus, a particular kind of thinking, acting, and feeling. So when God gives us another day and, and we wake up and we realize I'm still here and I'm given another day, you always have a choice. You have a choice. What am I going to put on today? Am I going to live deeper into God's reality? Am I going to live in accordance to the Christ pattern? Paul says, I no longer live. Like the life that I once knew, all my ego and all the stuff, my entitlement, me staying in charge and in control, that part of me, I no longer, I no longer live that way. That part of me is dead. Christ now lives in me lives in me, through me, is with me, and shapes and informs how I move into the world and how I see others, how I see God, how I see myself. And when it comes to loving difficult people, I realize that in my own strength alone, I'm not able to do that. I can't just conjure that up all by myself. I, I have to tap into something, something deeper than myself, a particular way, a particular wellspring that springs up inside of me. And that I realized as a Jesus follower that, that the moment I said yes to Jesus, I said yes to the open tomb, not the closed shut tomb, but the open tomb. And I, and I opened up myself and my heart and my life to a whole new way of living and loving. And if I go against that, I am going against how things really are. I think the universe is spinning in a Christ pattern that how God created things is, is spinning in a particular way. I think the, another way of saying that is that the, gra the gravitational pull of the universe is towards love. That's, that's the pull is towards deeper and deeper love. And I'm realizing more and more as I surrender to that gravitational pull that I, I wasn't created 
to find faults in others. I'm not made from that stuff. That's, that's not who I am. And I think Paul wakes up every day with a predetermined mindset. Today, I'm going to align myself according to the Christ pattern. I want you to think about this with me. When somebody speaks a word of grace over you and you truly hear it and it, and it goes in and somehow it begins to seep into not just your, your mind, but it goes down into your emotions. It goes down into your, your bowels and intestines. Something begins to stir in you. You begin to realize that we, we have this common experience of God's grace and somehow that connects us at a deeper level. Or when somebody forgives you, they accept you, and then they still like you and they still want to be in relationship with you even when you flubbed it. Because at the core, at our core, our common mind is we can't even fathom someone, someone really knowing us seeing everything about us and then still choosing to accept us and like us. At the very best, we think, well, people can know me, but they can't know everything because once they find out everything, they'll be out the door. But what happens when you truly experience forgiveness? When, when somebody says, I'm not going to hold this against you, but I want to work on relationship with you. I think that affects us even at a cellular level. And the reason why I think that's true is because it's tapping into creation itself, how things really are. And even our bodies know that, not just our minds, but our, our physical bodies understand that. And I, and I think that Paul actually believes, he actually believes that we can be conduits of the divine, that we can actually live according to the Christ pattern of thinking, acting, and feeling and that that thinking and acting and feeling isn't just based on circumstances going a particular way. And that it moves down and seeps into our emotions, into the very fabric of who we are as people. So that when I put on Christ and I move into the relational world that God has created, and I do the hard work of forgiveness, when I choose to love even when I don't feel like it, I think I'm stepping into the spin. It's, it's time to step into the spin, to give ourselves over to the gravitational pull into deeper realms of love. And even in, in Paul's other writings, in Colossians, for example, he says in Colossians chapter three, he's reminding these communities, these people who are choosing to follow Jesus, you've been raised with Christ. Well, if you've been raised with Christ, what does that mean? That means at some point you died. You no longer live. And now you've been raised with Christ. And that when you choose to live counter to that reality, it's a strike against yourself. It's a strike against your true nature. That's why I, I think we feel gross after we have spent time gossiping about other people. Are you aware? Maybe you're not aware, but after you've spent time tearing somebody else apart, it reveals again that you don't see them as a person who has a common experience of God's grace. You see yourself as above them, judging them. And, and let's be honest, we tend to judge in others what we fear may be true of ourselves, but we're not naming that action. But what it does is just, it just throws off our bodies even at a cellular level. 
when you spend so much of your precious time and energy, and you only get so much of it every day, finding faults in other people, you're not being the youiest you that you were created to be. The invitation is for you to be the youiest you, and that is found in Christ. That's the beauty of being in Christ, is that you get to be the best and most beautiful version of who God created you to be. Later on in, in the letter in Philippians, Paul, even he, he begins to use this beautiful imagery and language, and he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's like, let, let the peace of Christ rule in me. Let it rule and reign and flow in my body, so much so that, it, that the other things can't gain ground in my inner life. It's like we get to make room for that deep hum of shalom to reverberate down into our bowels and intestines. Paul says later in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And again, it's, it's getting down to who we are as humans. It's living with this predetermined mindset. Paul is using that word again, phroneo. Let the same thinking, let the same feeling, let the same actions be in you that are in Christ. I want to read this quote to you. And I don't, I don't know who wrote it. I, I saw it in one of my old files. And I, I want to read it to you. It captured my attention. Listen. If you are waiting around and hoping that love finds you, but not making any steps to meet it halfway, I guarantee you will die sad and lonely because even if you want love with all your heart, it doesn't just magically happen. To love another human being is a tireless and sometimes thankless undertaking. But most of all, love requires you to lose yourself in its infinite possibilities just to be able to experience it. It's great that you can admit that you want it, but love is blind and it will never just randomly see you. You wanna fall in love? You want proof that love even exists? It starts with your mindset and approach to it. And if you're not in the right frame of mind to experience it, then you will never know love. But do all of us a favor and stop blaming Cupid when the only reason you haven't experienced it is because you haven't chosen to yet. Now, I love the line in the quote where the author is saying, love requires you to lose yourself. And I see that Jesus pattern there. In its infinite possibilities, just to be able to experience it, to open ourselves up to the immensities that it's quite possible. There's, there's an act of surrender there in the everyday that we're being invited into every day to wake up with the mindset that today, before I step into the relational world, I'm going to open myself up. I'm going to lose myself, lay down my need to control things so that I can begin to experience the infinite possibilities of grace that I want to make more space for grace to flow freely in and through me. I want to think, act, feel the way that Jesus did. So today, I'm choosing to put on the mind of Christ and I'm choosing to live according to the Christ pattern 
of thinking, acting, and feeling. I'm tired of going against the flow of the universe. I'm tired of, of fighting the gravitational pull into love. How about you? Here's a question for you. What's keeping me from waking up? What's keeping me from waking up? Because it will be midnight soon, Cinderella. And the fancy gown, the shiny shoes, the makeup, all the intricate ways in which we've come up with concoctions and plans to pretend and cover up all the dirty parts, all of that will be stripped away. And all that will remain is you. And I want to remind you of something. That's enough. You are enough just the way you are. You are seen, you are loved, you are known. And you too get to step into the Christ pattern of thinking, acting, and feeling. To wake up every day with the reality that I get to put this on. And I get to live and be the youiest the youiest me that I can possibly be. You get to be the youiest you that you can possibly be. Open yourself up to the immensities of God's good grace today. Jesus, we pause for a moment. We simply ask for you to enter into the spaces, the crevices, the things in us that keep us from experiencing more of you. Help us become aware of the lenses that we're wearing and the ways in which we're seeing people, the ways in which we're seeing reality. And open us up to more of you, more of the Christ pattern flowing freely through our thoughts, through our actions and our feelings. Thank you. Grace and peace be with you. I want to sing the benediction over you as you prepare to move into the rest of your day. So receive this gift.
Grace and peace be with you.